coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy Monday to you. Hopefully you had a restful, relaxing, recharging sort of weekend. Me? No, no. <laughs> My calendar was just jam-packed between... Uh, Real estate work, softball on Sunday, we had a practice Saturday morning, had a league function Saturday night, had a memorial for my friend Rick who passed, what was it, six, seven, eight weeks ago. It was good to get together with a lot of his friends, and man, did he have a lot of friends. Ugh. And the stories, the co-workers sharing the funny stories, his travel companions, his roommates, Ugh. just a great memorial for a man that a lot of people really miss. So let's dive right in, shall we? Everybody is, again, back into their foxholes when it comes to the gun control debate after yet another mass shooting. This one, a deadly mass shooting. Another place we can strike off the list or add to the longer and growing list of places that aren't safe for us to go to because some nut with an AR can show up and blast a few people into the afterlife. A shopping mall. Well, we've done shopping malls. I'm sorry, this was an outlet mall in Allen, Texas, where a deranged gunman with access to a semi-automatic rifle showed up and took out eight people for no rational reason. 33-year-old shooter, a neo-Nazi sympathizer with an AR-15-style assault weapon, Eventually was killed himself by police, an officer, a matter of fact, who happened to be at the shopping center. That's right. There was an armed police officer at the shopping center, and yet a man with an AR-15 style assault weapon, a neo-Nazi sympathizer, still managed to kill eight people before he was taken out himself. NBC News is reporting that extremist beliefs were shared on a social media page that appeared to belong to the shooter who killed these eight folks at the Dallas area outlet mall over the weekend. Posts that included rants against Jews, women, and racial minorities were shared on the account since September of 2022. Maurizio Garcia, age 33, maintained a profile on the Russian social networking platform OKRU, which included posts referencing extremist online forums such as 4chan and content from white nationalists including Nick Fuentes, an anti-Semitic white nationalist provocateur. Ooh, were we not just dealing with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek derision last week? Did we not mention... Roll that audio. Back in my hometown of Augusta, the local news talk radio station's sole conservative talk show is hosted by one Austin Rhodes. <clears throat> Austin, by the way, listens to this show every day, and I, I appreciate that, and he's been actually one of those that reaches out to me and says, you know, when I'm doing, you know, a good show or whatever, and, you know, this is what Atlanta, you know, you, I'll give him credit for that. Absolutely. You know, thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's, that's really cool. We talk Trek, Star Trek. We'll talk cats. He's a cat guy. I'm a cat guy. But we just, we can't talk politics because, <laughs> because I know what he does is like entertainment. And he'll push back on that, but I, it is. It's entertainment. He loves to talk about ratings and revenue, and well, that's entertainment. If you're doing it for ratings, 
ratings and revenue, <clears throat> then you're already, to me, clouded ideologically. It's kind of like what Fox got caught up in after the 2020 elections. They felt the need to give their audience what they believe their audience wanted to hear instead of what was the truth. And was it $737 million? $737 million, $500. Later, Fox is smarting. Tucker Carlson's out of a job. There's a lot of embarrassment. Well, there should be embarrassment, but I don't know. I don't know that the right ever gets embarrassed anymore. They just... <laughs> they just get caught and go, you got to go, Tucker. And then Tucker's going to try and get out of his non-compete and land at Newsmax or News Nation or wherever the hell he's going to land. So when the shooting was coming down the pipe yesterday, there was all these reports about the Midtown shooter. Uh, Austin goes on his Facebook page and posts a picture of Dion Patterson, who is a black male, 24-year-old black male in a gray hoodie. And he said, another one of those pesky white nationalists are causing havoc again, tongue-in-cheek. This time shooting up a medical office in Midtown Atlanta. Of course, I don't normally chime in on his stuff as much anymore, and his Facebook posts don't get as much traction anyway, which is a shame because, I mean, it's entertaining, man. His followers, are they are just entertaining. Pop the popcorn sometimes. I like to lob a little liberal grenade in there and just watch it go boom. <laughs> so instead of talking about Universal background checks for gun purchases that more than 85% of the country's for. He wants to throw this red herring out about how the fear of white nationalism being the number one domestic terror threat in this country. And that's real. That's not me saying something opinion. That is legit. He wants to throw that red herring out. Checking back on my buddy's Facebook page today. No post. No post about uh, Maurizio Garcia who maintain this profile on the Russian social networking platform OKRU, which shows his affection for white nationalism and one Nick Fuentes, the anti-Semitic white nationalist provocateur. NBC News goes on to report, by the way, that one post last month included photos of the Allen Premium outlets where a mass shooting occurred Saturday afternoon, as well as photos of a flak vest emblazoned with Patches, including one with the acronym for right-wing death squad, a popular meme among far-right extremist groups. Another post included a series of shirtless pictures with visible white power tattoos, including SS lightning bolts and a swastika. A senior law enforcement source said Garcia's social media activity on the site is part of their investigation. More on the gunman, by the way, Maurizio Garcia, apparently... He tried to join the army back in 2008, was kicked out after three months for a physical or mental condition, according to a U.S. Army spokesperson. Might a red flag law, if such a law existed in the gun-friendly state of Texas, might a red flag law have prevented him from being able to purchase an AR-15? Good question. The spokesperson said he was not awarded a military occupational specialty. He had no deployment or awards. The nature of the discharge, not disclosed. He was separated under the 2005 edition of Army Regulation 635-200, paragraph 5-17, other designated physical or mental condition, according to an Army official. 
we have a mental health problem, not a gun problem. It's the, the same tired refrain. And yet, do we need to point out that in the last four decades, we've seen attacks on public health, funding for public health, mental health, Medicaid, which would address some mental health woes for the lesser fortunate who don't have a robust health care insurance package that covers mental health needs or or here's another one substance abuse yeah i mean it's not like those of us who have been alive the last four or five decades can also remember cuts to public health care funding mental health oh we need more mental hospitals we need more treatment centers yeah absolutely we've been saying this for quite a while but where's that money going to come from with all these austerity cuts that come every time a Democrat's in the White House, but the GOP has enough votes in the Senate or the House to hand-ring about deficit spending? From the upper echelon of brain trust at the GOP, you have Mensa member Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene about uh, 10 hours ago on Twitter. We should reopen and build more mental hospitals and drug rehab centers nationwide with combined federal and state funding. Hey, that's a great idea. Huh. Should probably, I don't know, have a little bit more funding for public health and Medicaid. She, oh, adds those two things along with the passage of HR2, our strong border security bill. (sighs) would drastically reduce crime and get many homeless people off the streets. I don't quite understand where she's going with the reduction in crime. Immigrants are actually less prone to criminal activity in this country than American-born citizens are. And homeless people off the street? Is she just talking about the folks that are coming across the border and awaiting their hearings who are... Without a place to stay. Is that what she's talking about? Corpus Christi? Is she is she looking to address Corpus Christi's homelessness? I mean, I, I live in one of the ten largest metropolitan areas in the country here in Atlanta, and I don't I, I mean, I'm not trying to tell you just based on what I see that we're not dealing with immigrants who are homeless. I don't know. I don't understand this. She went on to tweet, mental hospitals, mental health facilities, and drug rehab centers would also tremendously help law enforcement because they are the ones who have to deal with the mentally ill and deranged people on drugs. Yes, yes, Marjorie, that is so true. And yet, find me a well-trained officer, fresh out of police academy, who is educated well enough to deal with someone who is mentally ill. Or a deranged person on drugs, even. See, that's that's why police budgets need to not just include more weapons and more officers. They need to include folks who are trained to deal with mental health, mental wellness, mental instability. Mm. You guys chastise that as, defund the police. And we were actually just saying, no, no, we'd like to maybe just reallocate some of those resources to some of the needs that aren't being met, like dealing with the mentally ill and AKA deranged people on drugs. She went on to say that the hospitals, mental health centers would also free up a lot of space in jails because right now that's the only place they have to put them. Yeah, she's right. But she needs to look at her own party's history in the last four decades for, for the funding cuts. She says, this is what America first is all about. Putting American resources towards solving America's problems. 
Dear God, y'all, I'm sitting here telling you I could agree with Marjorie Taylor Greene on this stuff if we weren't instead diverting money to a wall that obviously didn't do the job or we wouldn't be talking about this next wave of immigrant caravans or whatever voodoo demonic words that Fox News and OANN and Newsmax were using to scare their voters now. Obviously, the wall didn't work. If we weren't, you know, giving billionaires that don't need the tax break more tax breaks, perhaps we'd have some of that America First money to put into mental health and mental wellness. And while I'm pointing out GOP failures of the last 40 years and how they've contributed to a lot of this, a lot of our mental health crisis, it's driven in healthcare cost burdens, a lack of growing income while cost of living goes up. People are having to work longer and harder to make less. Our climate is in crisis. We have two decades worth of war veterans who came home to underfunded hospitals and treatment centers. I can go on, and I will, after the break. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. I mean, I readily admit, if I'm watching something from Fox News, in general, I need to be mentally prepared to hear something or hear somebody say something that's going to blow my mind. And I should be prepared to have my mind blown, right? Alex Coker over the weekend saying this on Fox News after the deadly shooting in Texas. And just like General Mathis once said, you know, uh, be polite, be professional, but have a plan to kill everyone you meet because you never know. You know, if you're at your workplace, your business workplace, something you might might say could possibly cost someone to snap because they've had a very bad day. You don't know what kind of day someone's had. And your words can make the difference between, you know, uh, someone having a good day or a bad day. So always speak, you know, with, with kind words to somebody and your words can make a difference. That is Alex Coker. TV host, former police officer, quoting a line that General James Mattis reportedly told troops in the war zones of Iraq and Afghanistan about your everyday life in these United States of America. Merck. And it's on that note that I should uh, tell you that, per the Miami Herald, there are a list of countries that have issued travel advisories for their citizens towards traveling to the United States. Due to a rise in crime and fatalities, travel advisories are not uncommon. Travel advisories are the most efficient way for officials to provide safety information to their citizens about potential risks when visiting other countries. Like, I believe we had to initially make a travel advisory to folks who thought about maybe going to the Sudan. Citizens who are living in the Sudan. Yeah, you might want to leave. Things are getting a little helter-skelter over there. In the lead-up to the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. (laughs) But now we have countries telling their citizens... Uh, about traveling to the United States. Mm-hmm. Travel Noir revealed why New Zealand, Canada, Australia, the United Kingdom, France, Venezuela, Venezuela, and Uruguay encourage their citizens to stay diligent when visiting America. New Zealand's current travel advisory level for the U.S. is a two out of four, meaning travelers are advised to exercise increased caution. Travel Noir states that, quote, New Zealand's government attributes the rating to the threat of terrorism. Terrorism! The U.S. remains a target of terrorist interests from both international terror groups and domestic-based extremists. New Zealand warns that individuals or groups may target the U.S. through terroristic acts in areas where tourists frequent. The Canadian government mentions the high rate of firearm possession in the U.S., Mark. And that is, it is, quote, legal in many states for citizens to openly carry firearms in public. That frightens Canadians. Canadians, y'all. 
Due to increased mass shootings, Canada advises tourists to, quote, familiarize themselves with how to respond to an active shooter situation. Canada's travel advisories, I shouldn't laugh. Canada's travel advisories also detail and warn residents about possible criminal incidents in the U.S.-Mexico border. Australia's travel warning has the U.S. classified at a level one, instructing travelers to exercise standard safety precautions. However, like Canada, Australia does warn citizens that violent and gun-related crimes are more common in the U.S. The country also lists the possibility of an impending terrorist attack. Our friends the Brits. Hey, got a new king, King Charles. The UK government advises the residents to stay vigilant when traveling to the states. They list possible occurrences of mass shootings and terrorist attacks, but claim those are rare occurrences with tourists. They suggest individuals read the guidance on responding to an active shooter. France. The U.S. is considered one of the safest countries in the world, according to France's Ministry of Foreign Affairs. They do point out certain urban cities that pose potential threats, such as carjacking, theft, and walking alone at night. The ministry provides a breakdown of potential threats in neighborhoods in major U.S. cities, such as Boston, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, New Orleans, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. Because we can't deal with economic, socioeconomic inequalities in this country, that will continue to be the case. South American countries, Venezuela and Uruguay, have had travel warnings issued against the U.S. since 2019. The proliferation of acts of violence and indiscriminate hate crimes was the reason that Venezuela recommended citizens postpone travel to the U.S. Uruguay's Ministry of Foreign Affairs urged travelers to take extreme precautions against the same hate crimes and increased firearms violence. America. Here in Georgia, on the heels of the Midtown mass shooting last week, we have uh, Senate and House Dems, uh, Senator Nabila Islam, Representative Ruo Roman, friend of the show, Representative Pedro Marin, and Greg Kennard, uh, sending an open letter to the governor asking for a special session. Third paragraph of the letter, this must stop. We owe it to hardworking Georgia families who deserve to go to work or go to school without fear that they or one of their loved ones will not come home. This is a public safety crisis, and it is our obligation as elected officials to address public safety. We understand that among the elected members of the Georgia General Assembly, there are differences of opinion on how to address this crisis, but we believe that this crisis can no longer be ignored. Therefore, we request that, under the authority granted to you by the Georgia State Constitution, you immediately and without delay call a special session of the Georgia General Assembly to specifically address firearm-related public safety. I mean, that is the number one charge of an elected official in a township, town, city, county, state, federal government to protect your citizen against all forms of harm, foreign or domestic, right? Right? So why wouldn't Governor Kemp, the the man with the shotgun in the face of the teenage kid in his infamous TV commercial. Why wouldn't he call a special session to at least have the dialogue, right? The dialogue should be had, correct? The answer on the right is that, well, we need more guns. You have to have more guns out and about in society to to make us feel safe. Who does it make feel safer, the person strapping or society on the whole? Texas, by the way, A very gun-friendly state. Lots of guns in Texas. They love them some guns. 
More people than guns in Texas. And yet, gun fatalities have been skyrocketing in Texas since the current governor, Greg Abbott, has been seated behind their desk. He loves guns. Folks freely, openly walk around with guns. There's, uh, there's almost nothing that prevents you, aside from age, from having a gun on your person. In plain sight. And yet Texas has had some of the deadliest mass shootings in American history. El Paso, Uvalde, Allen, Texas now joins the list. There's one more I'm forgetting. Oh, yeah, 2017, the Sutherland Springs church shooting. Forgot about that. 26 people, including an unborn child, dead. 22 others wounded before the gunman killed himself. Back after this on The Ron Show. Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at RonShowATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Well, as you know now, there is a lot that's happened in Texas over the weekend. And uh, with more talk of agent, uh, immigration caravans and troops coming to the border and this, that, and the other, we've got an expert we know we can call on. And she's on the ground there in Texas. That is Kate Lincoln Goldfinch, who is the owner, CEO of Lincoln Goldfinch Law in Austin, Texas. Kate, how have you been? Hi, thanks. I've been well. By the way... Uh, Kate also is the co-host of Law Moms Out Loud. That's a cool podcast you want to check out. Also a YouTube page that's devoted to helping female lawyers who want to have a successful career and home life. That doesn't sound like an easy balance, but... It's not. (laughs) (laughs) It's the podcast. (laughs) Right. So according to The Guardian, uh, the Biden administration's new mobile phone app that uh, migrants are required to use to apply... Do people actually show up at our border with a mobile phone on them? What's the percentage of that? You know, I don't know the percentage, but a lot do have phones. It's a pretty big necessity. Um, I remember when I visited the migrant tent camps, uh, the last time I went down, there was this like row of showers and then this one charging station that had 50 phones plugged in, you know, because these people are living in tents. So um, that's how they communicate with their relatives, you know. So this new mobile phone app, uh, migrants are going to be required to use to apply for asylum in the U.S., and uh, apparently it doesn't work all the time. So I want to talk about that in a little bit. But the first thing I really want to talk about is this situation, this developing situation in, uh, was it Brownsville, Texas, where uh, this, this this fella drove into uh, a bunch a of folks, of at a, yeah, mm-hmm. a group of migrants at a bus stop. Um, his name was uh, Alvarez, right? Uh, so there's, uh, I guess, some question as to whether or not this was a hate crime of some sort or, or an intentional attempt to to harm somebody. He's been charged with multiple counts of manslaughter. But what what is the latest here? What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, you know, the I, the last I checked, this is one of those developing every minute sort of stories. At the last I checked, it wasn't confirmed that it was a hate crime. Mm-hmm. Um, my suspicions are that it was, since it was a group of people in front of a migrant mm-hmm. homeless shelter. Um, and because of what's happening right now at the border, there's a lot of fear and fear-mongering about, you know, migrants being bad or dangerous and... Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all um, if someone took to violence. And I haven't seen this guy's mugshot. I don't know if it's out yet. But uh, for for those who who may not be aware, like I've 
and I'm sure we all know folks who may be named something like George Alvarez, who you don't look at and think, okay, that's a that's an Hispanic name, but you don't know that that's an Hispanic person, or they sometimes identify as white, et cetera. You know, it's kind of a murky scenario. So that that's why for me, it's like. Uh, do we wait for the mugshot before we deduce, or are we going to go through a social media profile? I just didn't know if you'd heard anything more about that, but that's just just another deadly incident in Texas. And now we have the, the the shooting over the weekend at the outlet mall, and this guy allegedly had some white supremacist, uh, you know, sweet spots himself, and and even he, you know, came with with a name that you wouldn't think if you if you heard the name, you'd think, oh, well, that's a white supremacist, but that's not really all that uncommon. Yeah, I mean, you know, ideology does not match skin color, certainly does not match surname, you know, so we just, we don't base whether a hate crime is a hate crime because of, you know, something about the color of the skin, for example, of the person who committed it. It's what 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 was the intent behind it and why did they mm-hmm. commit the crime? And so I think all of that will become clear. They'll be able to, you know, investigate the man who did it and, and what his reasons were. Um, and, you know, I think from, from a discussion of why, why are we talking about this? Why does this matter? And from my perspective, um, let's assume this was a hate crime. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happening right now is a big deal. You know, we've had the border closed for three years due to Title 42, and that's ending, and the system is getting back online. So we have asylum seekers who, for many of them, for three years have been waiting for their opportunity to apply. And and the reaction to that amongst people who may not understand is that this is a, you know, an untenable emergency border surge that will never end, which which is not the reality. And yet, you know, our governor, for example, um, gains a lot of attention when he tweets and talks about this as a as a dangerous situation and people listen to him. Our words have power. And so I, you know, I would encourage people to really get the facts and understand the situation and not just believe that because you see a picture of a line of immigrants in El Paso, that that equates to a problem. And, and didn't Governor Abbott tweet something sort of ignorant here a couple of weeks ago when there was, a, I believe it was another mass shooting, uh, where he talked about the the, the, the perp or, or, or the victims were illegal aliens or something really just unbecoming of the situation of the moment. Yeah, he did. I mean, because same thing, the surname of the perpetrator in that incident and the victims uh, was a Hispanic surname. He, you know, used a slur against them. Um, and it was, it's, extremely upsetting it's dehumanizing and and i would argue that the real inquiry should be why is someone if this person who committed this crime has a criminal background or immigration violations on his background why was he able to purchase an ar-15 because we don't have red flag laws in states like texas and if even Mm -hmm. if like uh, we found out in colorado where they do have red flag laws you have local police officials who choose to ignore them it's (laughs) It's just damning. Anyway, uh, so Title 42 uh, is supposed to basically come to a close on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there was like a public health moratorium uh, that sort of kind of put a pause on on on, on uh, asylum seekers here because of the co- uh, coronavirus pandemic. But as we've seen over the last few days, it's not it's no longer a global health emergency. We've relaxed a lot of our policy. Title 42 being one them uh, uh, one of them that ends on Thursday. And uh, as you said. With that being known, we are expecting an, an upswell of uh, southern border uh, 
incursions. What? Mm-hmm. Tell me about this app, though. I'm trying. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this app. How 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 do folks get the app? How are they told about the app? What what's what? How does this process play out? Well, you're not alone. So the app is called CBP One, and the idea, I guess, in theory, is a good one. Um, you know, except for the fact that there are a lot of migrants who don't have access to tech. But mm. the theory is that people who want to be processed or apply to asylum need to register in the app. But of course, there's just a ton of problems, as you might imagine, with with this app. It doesn't function. And so that's that's one of the problems. Um, you know, and it's essentially the bottom line is in this country after World War II, we said we're we're not going to behave like we did with the Jewish refugees. We're going to actually provide protection to people who are fleeing persecution. So for the last 70 years, we have provided a way for people who want help to apply for asylum at our border. They get screened by a credible fear interview, and if they might qualify, they come in. If they don't qualify, they get deported. That's been the system that we've had in place up until March of 2020. Then the pandemic hit, Title 42 closed down the border. And so what we're seeing now is three years of border closure ending and an attempt to get back to where we were. So it's just a natural um, consequence of the closure that we're going to have a backlog of people to process. And so we're going to see a, just a, a lot of people, you know, trying to apply for their, you know, opportunity finally. And then we get through that and then we'll get back to where we were. So we just have to get through this period of time. And I hope that, you know, the American public doesn't panic uh, because they're, you know, Greg Abbott's going to say a lot of scary stuff, um, but I think you know if we do this right, we'll just get through it and it'll be fine. So, can we expect to see some more grandstanding from like the Ron DeSantis types throughout the country? Who are going to want to bus up or, or or maybe privately jet up some folks to Martha's Vineyard this summer? Oh, one hundred percent. We will be seeing that because the thing is, they get a lot of attention mm. when they when they you know engage in these stunts. Just a ton of attention and uh, support from their base. Um, so. You know, which is like, then we get into the whole conversation, but why is this? Why are we as a nation engaging in a debate about immigrants and and talking about them as if they are bad when, number one, this is a nation that's founded on immigrants. Mm. It makes us who we are. Number two, we have an aging population, a serious problem. Our baby boomers are aging, and for the first time next year, we're going to have more people over the age of 65 than under the age of 15 in the first time in our history. So we need immigrants now more than ever before. And if we would just admit that fact, then Congress could actually pass immigration reform. And a lot of this, a lot of these problems would go away, but we have to start by being honest with ourselves. We we've had this discussion before though. My, my belief is that on the right, there is just this fear that if you uh, allow more folks from central and South America who are coming here to become us citizens, that automatically Democrats win their hearts and minds. And that's going to totally change the political outlook for the GOP for the next 40 to 50 years. And yet at the same time, I believe that's so short-sighted because when you're talking about Central and, and South American folks, most of them are Catholic. Catholic folks tend to be rather socially conservative. And if it weren't for the entire xenophobic takeover of the GOP from the white evangelical base in the South, they might actually find some common ground with a lot of those folks who are coming here if they do become U.S. citizens. Yeah, I think that's actually true based on what I've seen. Um, And, you know, number one, it takes an immigrant 10 years about to become a U.S. citizen, Mm -hmm. typically. Um, And so it's a really long pathway to eligibility to vote. And then, like you said, 
oftentimes once immigrants become U.S. citizens, they they vote conservative for other reasons. And so if any, you know, Republican politician who is resisting immigration reform because immigrants might vote is just not thinking through it to the end. And we really only need to look as far as the Cuban-American population in South Florida for that. There was a lot of resistance to allowing Cuban immigration, uh, Cuban immigration here. And yet now that we have uh, a, a, an abundance of Cuban-Americans in uh, Central and South Florida, we're seeing that the Democratic Party is having a hard time winning the Cuban-American vote over. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's one strong piece of evidence for this argument. Mm-hmm. So... What sort of number? And, and by the way, we're, let me uh, reset this just real quick. We are on with uh, our friend from Austin, Texas, uh, Texas immigration attorney Kate Lincoln Goldfinch. She is the owner and CEO of Lincoln Goldfinch Law in Austin, Texas. Also, the co-host of Law Moms Out Loud, a podcast and YouTube page devoted to helping female lawyers who want to have a successful career and home life. We have fifteen hundred U.S. troops heading to the border. Uh, how common or uncommon is that to see? It's pretty uncommon to see the federal government sending this type of resources. Usually what we see is, you know, like Greg Abbott or DeSantis sort of in a show send state law enforcement, not in a collaborative way. But the federal government here, you know, is hopefully they have been planning ahead. They know that Title 42 is ending and they understand there's a big group of migrants that need to be processed in an orderly and dignified way. And one way to do that is to send down um, some enforcement. So I'm really um, curious to see how this will play out, how the federal government will do um, with this. And I'm hopeful that, that they have planned ahead and that they will do an okay job. But, you know, we did see... In 2021, the Biden administration lifted Title 42, but only as it applied to children. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know if you recall, two years ago, there was this, a lot of media at the time about unaccompanied kids yep. who were stuck in the system. Their parents couldn't find them. It was really bad. And I had a bunch of clients during that period. It was really heart-wrenching stories of children alone in these detention centers and going to hospitals and their parents didn't even know it. You know, it was just bad. Yeah. Um, and so I'm hoping that we don't have something like that again, but we just have to see how they do. So I have two questions. One, is 1,500 troops enough for what we expect to have to deal with? And two, are these troops in any way at all trained for this sort of scenario? Yeah, I mean, I don't <laughs> I don't know what they're going to be doing. In my, you know, experience, this is a population of mostly asylum seekers, right? They're people from Venezuela, Cuba, Honduras, Guatemala. They're fleeing something in their country and they want to be screened for asylum here. Mm-hmm. So they need to be, you know, held or housed in a, you know, in a place that is not awful (laughs) Mm -hmm. and screened by a trained asylum officer to see if they might qualify for asylum. So, you know, these troops, it's unlikely that they're going to be able to um, screen anyone for asylum. My guess is they're just trained in law enforcement. So I hope that the administration has also put enough thought to housing and screening so that we can work through the backlog quickly and not just into law enforcement because that isn't the the whole picture. Well, that and you know medical and uh, mental health wellness. How, how about right. this? Uh, are they bilingual? Are these troops going to be able to speak you know some form of Spanish or Portuguese in the case of any who might speak Portuguese? That's right. Yes, these are all questions that hopefully they have thought through 
and plan for. So one last question I want to ask you. Obviously, you work as an immigration attorney, so you represent a lot of folks who, who come here with without much more than uh, the clothes on their back or a bag of supplies, you know, just to survive the trip. How are you compensated? Is there are, are there are there organizations that folks can donate to that can help out with legal defense for for these folks? Yeah, one organization that comes to mind. I'm on the board of this organization, and in disclosure, um, it's called Vecina, which means neighbor in Spanish. Mm. It's V E C I N A. Mm. Vecina. And this is an organization that responds to border crises around the world. They've had projects uh, in Afghanistan and Ukraine along the southern border, and they place volunteer attorneys with uh, indigent migrants and train them and coach them on how to take these cases. This is a really great organization, and, and uh, it's small and nimble, so a little bit goes a long way. Thank you so much for telling me about that. I had somebody uh, uh, send me a DM on Twitter about that last time I had you on. And I said, you know what? I'm going to remember to ask her that next time she's on. Texas immigration attorney Kate Lincoln Goldfinch, the owner and CEO of Lincoln Goldfinch Law in Austin, Texas, and obviously the co-host of Law Moms Out Loud. Thanks for the time. I appreciate you giving us an update today. Thanks for having me on. Final segment for the Monday Run Show. And a little bit of a program note. I mean, it may not actually come to fruition, but I'm going to go Thursday through Sunday to see my good friends in New Orleans, Louisiana. One of my best friends uh, ever, ever, ever. Uh, Daryl and his husband, Brad, live uh, in the uh, New Orleans metro area. And I haven't seen them in quite a while. I'm trying to think, have we seen each other since before COVID? I don't know that we have. I don't think we have. It's jogging my mind. I remember he and, uh, well, they they came and stayed at my place while I was out of town during COVID. Ugh. Yeah, see, that's great. Like, we live six hours apart and uh, haven't seen each other in quite a while. So I'm, I'm going to be gone Thursday and Friday. I may do the show on the road, but... I'm in New Orleans, so maybe not. You may get a couple of best ofs. So if something like super crazy happens, um, I mean, I'm going to take some equipment with me, but don't count on it. You know what I'm saying? Ron gets a break every once in a while, right? (laughs) So uh, there's that. Um, Let's see. uh, Over the weekend, uh, of course, all the talk politically here, domestically, uh, all about our, our gun problem. And it's, yeah, we have a mental health problem for sure. And as I pointed out in the first segment, how much of that has to do with all the stresses that come with living in this country with a widening economic disparity between the 1% and the 99%, uh, having to work longer and harder and later into life, like nearly before dying, if not dying on the job or, or dying while we still have a job uh, without you know enjoying any hint of retirement, how much of that is families being bankrupted by burdensome health care costs? How much of that is climate-driven? You know, they do studies all the time on animals and raising the temperature on animals in their habitat or in their confined habitat to see how they react. And obviously, as... Heat goes up, temperatures go up, you limit the food supply between a group of animals and hostilities between the animals intensifies, things of that sort. It's not, 
it's not obscene to think that, well, these same conditions could affect us and our tempers and our mental wellness as well, right? Megan Kelly. Ah, Megan Kelly. Over the weekend tweeted, serious question for gun control advocates. You've failed to effect change. Please face it. Um, I, first of all, I don't even like the tone of that. It's as if to say, just give up. Stop. You can't do it thanks to the 2A, the Second Amendment. You can't do it, she says, thanks to the Second Amendment. We're all well aware you don't like that fact, but fact it is, she says. What's next? Must we stay here, sad, concerned, lamenting? Could we possibly talk other solutions? Well, sure, Megan, we could talk other solutions, but every, quote, other solution offered gets smothered by Republicans. I would suggest she talks to her own team as they're wiping more blood off their hands. Also, Megan, don't bother telling us we, quote, can't do it, like saying it's going to stop us from pursuing a return to sanity. Never mind that conservatives, in my view, have gotten us where we are with this mental health crisis and the proliferation of guns and gun violence in this country and obstruct any opportunities to make sense of it by enacting laws that clearly work in other countries that still have mental health problems like we do. First world countries with the same first world mental health problems, economic issues. Well, I'm sorry, those other first world countries have universal health care, so they don't quite have the same they don't quite have the same economic anxieties we do, or even income disparities, wealth hoarding at the top, this, any other. But conservatives, Megan, I have to remind you, have gerrymandered and nuanced Supreme Court control over a slim majority of moderate liberal America. That's right. That's the thing that needs to be faced. Please face it. This is a slim majority moderate liberal United States of America. And we're not happy. We're not happy with a 6-3 majority Supreme Court. We're not happy with a U.S. Senate that can't really get anything done because artificial lines dictate that huge wide swaths of mostly Western state land gets better representation than actual people in that U.S. Senate. But no, man, we're not going to quit just because the empowered, protected, well-heeled minority says quit? We're supposed to just quit? The majority of the country is supposed to just quit? I mean, thank God, an overwhelmed colonial population, overwhelmed by redcoats who had more authority, didn't accept what they were told they can't do. And yes, we are talking about the majority. Fox News did their own polling. Background checks for guns, 87%. This is what Americans want. Enforce existing gun laws, 81%. Legal age of 21 to buy guns, 81%. That is all guns, by the way. To ban assault weapons, 80%. This is a Fox News poll. Megan Kelly used to work at Fox News. She knows they're not fair. They're not balanced. By the way, in that Fox News poll, 45% of those polled want more citizens carrying guns. But nearly twice as many do want background checks for all gun purchases. Please face it, Megan. You're speaking to the majority of the country when you say that. And you're kind of coming off like Marie Antoinette. How did that go for her? Not that I'm suggesting. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that. No, that's absurd. That would be like putting crosshairs on congressional district maps like Sarah Palin did. 
That would be like using a Bible verse to wish President Joe Biden were dead, like Lauren Boebert did. That'd be like airing a video at a rally where a supporter said that the only good Democrat is a dead Democrat. That was uh, something former President Donald Trump did in May of 2020. Yeah, no, I'm not going to stoop that low. I certainly don't wish for Megyn Kelly to get Marie antoinette I actually want her to live long enough to see a day where the will of the majority, of we the people of these United States, see the kind of policies they want put in place so that that promise our forefathers made. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. No matter where we are to what family we're born into. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com.